Volume 1, Issue 34, Vessel and Dear Esther. At the beginning of March, two very different games were released on Steam. Vessel, a fluid base platforming puzzle game that requires the player to implement many mechanics and gameplay systems to achieve their goal. On the other hand, Dear Esther, a game whose sole mechanic is to entice the player to explore its environments using a narrative to achieve their goal. So what better way to spend an evening chatting with my Kane and Rinse buddies about these two very contrasting games. So tonight on the panel we have James Carter. Hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Darren Gargett. Yo. Yo, yo, yo. Uh, actually, I'll tell you the truth. So normally when we're... um. We're picking stuff for, for Kane and Rince. You know, some of us played it, some of us haven't. Um, a lot of the times it's a classic game, so you know, obviously we wanted to talk about it and, and review it. These two in particular came about because um, I'd just got a brand new PC. Um, and I was, you know, the wonders of Steam. Steam came along and I was like, oh my god, I want to try this stuff. And around that time, two, these two games uh, got released onto the marketplace. Um, and I know that we actually got a review code into Kane and Rince, didn't we, Darren? Which you did a review for for the site. We did indeed, yeah. It was um, a strange circumstance. I was around my friend's house, uh, Kips, so people may know him, and he was like, check out this indie game uh, on, on a certain website. And I, you know, I checked out the video, I was like, oh, I've, I've got to play this. It looks you know, it looks looks like the best game with a water pack. Well, I was going to say since Super Mario Sunshine, <laughs> but that doesn't really count. So yeah, the best game with a water pack. And uh, yeah, I just emailed him, just, you know, just off the off chance, just a nice little email, and they sent me a code for a preview build, which then turned into a review build on Steam, so... I was very, uh, very fortunate there. So um, that that was one of the reasons. I thought, well, actually, if we do get a review code in, then it would be nice to actually do a, a show based on that review code that we get in. I mean, that's not guaranteed for every game, but this one in particular looked very interesting. So, and you had pretty positive thoughts about it once uh, you had completed it as well. So I was like, you know what, we should do a show on that. Hmm. That got me thinking, like, what would be because I didn't think we could do a full show on Vessel. So what could you do as a contrasting game for this? Um, a lot of talk at the time was about this game called Dear Esther, that was basically a narrative driven game there there wasn't really any mechanics to speak of other than just press forward um so i thought you know what better way than to kind of mash these two games together on the show it would make for a fairly interesting chat one with all gameplay mechanics another one with pretty much no gameplay mechanics but we can get into you know whether that was the case in the, in the final reviews of these two titles so yeah and so it's, it's a bit weird because we're approaching these games as something that we hadn't really experienced any, well, any of us hadn't really experienced before it kind of went up on the board um so it'll be interesting to see whether we can actually make a full game, a full show out of these two games. From history's past, to it tells me we can probably talk for 90 minutes on two games. Uh, unless it's Metal And game. it'll probably be split into two shows because we go on too long. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Let's, let's tackle Vessel first. Um, 
to do with the mechanics first. Um, I'm going to read the story blurb, which they have on their website. Um, there's not too much of a story, but it's it's a decent setup for what Vessel is. Uh, where it kind of describes a little bit what the mechanics is, and then we can kind of just brush and talk about the rest of the mechanics in that game. So their story blurb for this game is... The invention of liquid automatons called fluoros have revolutionised the workplace. The automatons are commonly used for everyday purposes in factories and workstations and are endless supply of free labour. However, after a few years, issues start to arise with the fluoros and they begin to involve and misbehave. You play the role of M. Arkwright, an inventor of the fluoros, to correct the problems of on these work sites. I didn't know that was his name. <laughs> yeah, M. Arkwright. That's a cool name. Mm. So, gentlemen, what are fluoros? Well, um, from what I gather, from because the game doesn't give you a lot of information about what's going on, but he's invented this like little device that, when it touches water, it makes the or, or any liquid for that matter, it makes the liquid sentient. And um, I'm assuming that like the earlier ones that you meet at the uh, beginning of the game are just programmed to perform specific tasks mm-hmm. like earlier on they're just going towards buttons with lights uh, on top of them um, but uh, what you find out is that these fluoros are like evolving and changing and doing stuff they're not supposed to so it's kind of implying that these are kind of a new form of life that this guy has created mm. I wasn't really anticipating the the level of evolution that goes throughout the whole game. Uh, mm. The game is much longer than I anticipated it to be, and they just kept throwing up new ideas within these fluoros, and yeah, it just blew me away, to be honest. I was well impressed. Yeah, I think um, the game starts with uh, Arkwright leaving his um, lab for the day and finding that he actually gets locked out by a fluoro, which is exhibiting behaviour he's never seen before. Um, and to me, they look a little bit like sort of... Um, when you take the fluoro out of your pocket, because at one point you can actually collect them and, and you just hold the fluoro, it looks a bit like a, a cell or a cellular organism that then, when it comes into contact with liquid, absorbs to form a, a body it can use to move around the place. Um, and and as Darren says, they, they evolve even more as you go through the game. And it's a really neat way of just introducing new mechanics and keeping the game feeling pretty fresh throughout its 12 hours or so which is much longer than I expected it to be for something that starts out so simple you sort of think okay maybe sort of 5-6 hours but they really make sure that the 12 hours are sort of jam packed with you trying to find new ways to do things and multiple different ways to solve puzzles I also think the flurries are just technically impressive because how how they've managed to make uh, liquid physics the way they have and like being able to create sentient creatures out of all this like you know quite realistic water physics and stuff like that is really impressive and is a good way of showing off what these guys are capable of yeah it's although there's a story i think the story conceit is actually makes it feel a lot more plausible because 
what this would be, I mean, it's a puzzle game, and as I said, it's a kind of water-based puzzle game or liquid-based puzzle game. You do get many varieties of liquid throughout the game. Um, and I think it would be quite dry if it... <laughs> it would be quite dry <laughs> if you were to... For instance, um, there's grates in the game where you need these fluoros to kind of melt through and, and go through the other side where you can then reform them with different stuff. But if it was just a case of, well, drop fluid through grate, let it roll downhill to tub... I mean, there's plenty of those games out there. So I think this is a better way of kind of adding a bit of personality to the, the fluid-based mechanics. Um, otherwise, maybe you'd have brought some other you know, sort of maybe mechanical being in there to kind of help the fluoros along the way. So kind of just mix both of these things together. And with the, the fact that these things evolve throughout the, the levels, it, you know, it, it means that they can mess around with different um, like things like lava and um, luminescence liquids and stuff like that. It just gives them an easier time to, to place elements in this game which I think would have been quite hard other than just being well this is a liquid and you have a gun we haven't seen that before but you know there's so many games that have done that right so I mean the game is this it's it's actually a fairly long game um I think James you've already said 12 hours I think I put around 12 to 13 hours in yeah. Darren Josh yeah about the same yeah 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 I've reached the final boss within 10 or 11 and then I hit a game breaking bug because I was like, I must have been one of the first people to get to the end because I was playing it for review for the guys. And, uh, you know, yeah, I contacted them saying, like, you know, the, the final boss or, you know, creature has got some sort of bug and that they patched it soon after. So, yeah, um, yeah, about 12 hours in total. Yeah, and uh, so it's spread over three different areas. You you have the factory, you have the orchard, and you have the mines. Um, so let's do, try to do with those one by one. We can kind of talk about the graphics in them, but also some of the gameplay that comes around. Uh, different aspects get added uh, as you progress, obviously, later through the levels, which makes more sense. But when you start off, it's actually relatively easy. As Josh has already said, the, the first flurry you get... Uh, I never caught their names. I think they, they all have proper names, each fluoro, but I ended up breaking them down more into what they actually achieved for their goal. Mm. So the first fluoro you get is the switch fluoro, Anyone know what the name is? I no. didn't keep. Yeah, no, I just I I was the same as you. I just referred to them as that's the dumb one that yeah. just clicks on the yeah. switches. That's the one that will actively try to kill me. Um, <laughs> you know, there and then the ones that will flee from light or flee to yeah. light. But yeah. I, th I think that's part of the problem. Is all the information's there in. Uh, Arkwright's notebook, and as you progress through the game, more pages of the notebook are created, but. but they're completely unnecessary to read because you can work out the puzzles through induction and working out what each liquid does and what each fluoro does and combining them in different ways. And you kind of never have to read that notebook. And a lot of the story, I think, even including the character's name, I'm pretty sure, you find out in the notebook. So it sort of pops up and says, oh, check your notebook. Um, and a bit, it, it looks a bit like the uh, Drake's notebook in Uncharted. Mm. You sort of press yeah. the select, select key if you're using a, a pad. Um, and it opens up the, the notebook and you just flick through the pages and read what you want to read. But it's all kind of unnecessary, which is why I sort of felt like the story too kind of lifts out a little bit. I maybe. don't know if I'd describe it as unnecessary as more just um, additional information yeah. for those who want it. I totally get what you mean. It's not really important for the overall game to know any of the stuff that's in the notebook. Yeah. But I, I did read through that stuff and I did find it interesting. And I think it gave the game some atmosphere that would... And that's ultimately what I kind of liked about the 
not like really important narrative aspect of the game but like a underlying narrative is that it gave it like a feel and an atmosphere yeah. that it would otherwise yeah. not have yeah. as, as I said at the start I think without the story then it would be very dry it would be very quiet yeah. you know yeah. just this and, is and a guess, puzzler yeah what I mean by unnecessary is just in terms of being able to progress through the, the game you don't really need the information that's in there because you oh, can yeah. work it all no, out but it adds a certain charm so but yes it, it adds to the background of the character a bit like an audio diary in a in a shooter game would if you want the extra story and the extra information it's there and you do get some of Arkwright's thoughts towards the evolution that's happening in his creation it, which is quite interesting it is funny because you know you, you say like this stuff is in the notebook I went back and read through that notebook um, purposely to try to find the names and there's no mention of any of them it's li- <laughs> it literally tells you what to do with these things but it doesn't actually tell you the name of what they actually It's it wasn't until I was watching a, a developer walkthrough that they refer to as what I shall call the switch one to a actual name and I'd, even then I've like completely forgotten it because it was you know, as Josh said it, it's kind of irrelevant because you know what they do and they serve that purpose yeah. I don't know I think for the first couple of hours though I kind of needed their names or some sort of relevant information on the HUD when you select the seed because yeah. I select the seed and go right what does this seed do again and I throw it on the floor and then like no you know, it, yeah it'd be, it'd be the, the lava liquid that comes and attacks you the, the you know the, the guy the fluoro comes and attacks you like oh shit like I need to okay right the top left one is the stupid one top right one's the aggressive <laughs> one and the, the, the bottom left and right ones are the um are, you know the, the the light sensitive ones and but by left and right I, I'm referring to the HUD display on the yeah. screen mm-hmm. it's just, just could have done with a bit more context on the screen so let me know what's going on but Trial and error, and I got there. Yeah, so at the very start, they actually introduce you pretty pretty gently because um, there are some puzzles that get very complex towards the end. So I mean, this one, you, you do have the switch one, the switch fluoro. Uh, so a simple puzzle would just be, for instance, you're behind a locked door um, and uh, there's, there's maybe a grate in the floor. With that grate... So now I'm trying to think back to the earlier simple stuff. Um, well, it was all based on like lights. You had to turn on lights, and they would go, "Oh, look a light!" Yeah, so that's it. Yes. So um, say that okay, there was a there's a door uh, above you, but you can't stand on the switch and open the, and get to the door at the same time because as soon as you come off the switch, then the door would shut. Kind of simple gameplay mechanics we've seen for years. So you create this fluoro, you add water. And with that, the fluoro then goes and stands on the switch. You can go for the door, and you progress for the level. So, the first area does that for maybe a, a, a good hour or so, just you know, getting used to the mechanics of using these fluoros, how to bring them out. Um, you don't have access straight away to your seeds. Um, I think they're kind of more in no. the environment. Um, qu- fairly quickly on, you get a backpack. Um, I'm going to refer to it as a Super Mario Sunshine backpack because, <laughs> although you can't float and fly, you have this liquid-based stuff in it. Um, and you can you capture the the essence of this switch fluoro by sticking a great big needle into them. <laughs> that scene it always gets me. Like every time I captured a new type of you know fluoro seed, it was just like here he comes, here he comes, like, needle in yeah. him, and it just it looks so visceral. Like, mm. I know that's the word that everyone uses a million times, but it looks so they've done it so well, and it actually felt like you were sort of harming them in a, in a strange way for your own for your own good. So you're luring them into a trap and that trap is to stick a needle in them which then you can suck them up into your big fluoro making machine and that yeah. produces a seed. Uh, yeah, it, it condenses down the essence of this yeah. this uh, fluoro into just the fluoro. It, it removes the liquid but interestingly the way you can tell that liquid has come into contact with the fluoro is the eye that's on there and you don't actually need the eye in the needle when you when you suck that fluoro up to get its essence 
I had one go in that was just liquid without the actual eye on it ah. because it had fallen off. And it just sucked the liquid up and still did the same. So It's still um, horrifying, though. It's still <laughs> horrifying, yeah. I mean, you, you drop this needle into this massive liquid and it, it stands there sort of quaking. It literally is shaking a little bit. Uh, well, it, sort of it looks like it. you're lobotomizing it <laughs> yeah. or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, you, once you get the essence of these things, then you can use it as a portable thing. You have a backpack at this point, so uh, you'll have basically water, which you can refill at most you know, little points in the game. They they never really trick you and say, oh, you've run out of this substance, haha. You normally get substances roughly where you need to be. So you have water, and you have this uh, flow flora at this point, so you can just drop and use it, and uh, the puzzles start getting a little bit more complex from there. Um, in the factory level, there is its basic mechanic is there's eight, I think there's eight areas. So there's basically parts of gears in this factory environment that need to be freed. Uh, I believe the fluoros themselves are messing with these gears by standing inside them and blocking them. So you need to suck them, break them, and get this factory back up and running. Society's back up and running. Um, it's a, a so we might as well get on to some of the art design. Is I, I think it's a really charming looking art design in this. Mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. In the, in the quick prints, which is available on our YouTube channel, uh, I mentioned the art style being Monty Python esque. Like, if you look in the background, there's these weird sort of abstract shapes joined together. I don't know if the word abstract's right there, but there was like a train with a cartwheel on the front of it, and it kind of had that cartoony sort it's of steampunk like, isn't it? Very yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it reminded me. Maybe Josh can back me up on this. It's kind of like it was a bit limbo esque, but. All the colours taken, you know, all the the saturation that's taken out, but the colour put back in. It, it it has that kind of everything's not quite in proportion. Mm. Like your lead main character does look like an illustrated, almost like Pixar like character, um, but not quite like that. It's not as charming as Pixar. But anyway, um, yeah. but I know what you mean. It's it's. I really liked the art style. It lent it a lot of personality. I know we're talking about the factory at the moment, mm. but there was a, a a frame, not a frame, a sequence in um, the mines where there were just all those ladders hanging in the yeah. in the mine, and you could see in the background as well. Mm. It looked really good. Like it really looked really interesting and really, I don't know. Well, it's it's two point five D esque, isn't it? It's it's there's stuff happening in the background. You can't interact with the background environment, but you know there's a there's a depth of field there rather than you know just two D plane. The character models are sort of three D, but it is on the two D plane. You're only ever moving in one plane in in terms of your third dimension. It's all flat, but the the planes are moving over one another almost a bit like uh, is it parallax screens? So mm. you've got what's in the foreground you're scrolling with, and what's in the background scrolling a bit slower obviously because it's further away um so it gives that that effect where you can sort of feel like there's a, a third dimension to the world um the main character is is actually quite interesting to look at he's got sort of classic steampunk goggles on his head mm -hmm. that he never puts on but they're there and he looks kind of like a slim down uh, jack black if you take his character mm. from uh brutal legend you know he's got the big sort he of he does have um, big chin this kind of sticks out yeah. Big chin, dark hair, sort of, uh, sort of similar facial features, and giant sideburns on as well. Um, so, so I guess somewhere between Jack Black and um, Nathan Drake, maybe something like that. Especially once he's he's sort of charging around the mines and caves and stuff like that. The sort of places you would expect to see Nathan Drake running around. Um, 
but yeah, there's a very steampunk feel to it, and the factory, following on from the workshop, sort of exhibits that very well. Um, and feel each of the areas kind of feel very different, I think, because the factory is very steampunk. But then you get to the orchard, and it kind of changes a little bit. The thing is, I think the factory makes the most sense out of all the environments, or maybe yeah. maybe the mines to more so. But you can understand that you know industry would have a use for these fluoros. You, yeah. know, the, you know, the the common man doesn't want to work inside these places anymore. So if you get you know just this thing that knows no better and stands on a switch because a, you know, a light goes on top, it, it, I think there's a a fairly decent context of why these fluoros would be in this place. The orchard, I never really felt that maybe that was the case because yeah. it's more of a kind of an outdoor open air environment. So, but um, yeah, I mean the the, the fluoros as well. I I thought they were you know brilliantly animated. You can tell each fluoro looks different. Um, yeah. And they have their kind of own own animation routines. Um, so, like, as soon as you let go of a seed, you're like, "Oh, it's that one." And sometimes, you know, you do not want that one. You're desperately trying to destroy it before it, you know, wrecks your your plan. But you can tell almost instantaneously what they are. Yeah. It's a really clever technique they've got with their engine because you can literally drop a seed, and if you've got the right percentage amount of water, you can make some weird looking fluoros from what I could tell there were, I remember like yeah. during, during some puzzles there were some really disfigured fluoros yeah. just doing the puzzles for me I was like god like my backpack was empty and I was just dripping water down just to try and get a little bit more onto the seed and then luckily this sort of yeah like I say sort of like mutant like fluoro started hobbling its way towards the switch it was quite quite well, satisfying and sometimes um, because you can destroy your fluoros very easily you're just banging into them um, mm. you, you break their I suppose their compound structure um, so maybe there's five or six seed heads on the ground where you can do that, and then you make one uh, come to life, and it's got all these different seeds actually embedded into it <laughs> as it's picked yeah. up in the liquid, and they look freaky, like eyes everywhere. Yeah. There's there's clearly sort of a minimum amount of it, any of the liquids that will form a fluoro, but the fluoro will still try to form with less liquid. Oh, so that's annoying. Occasionally you'll, you'll sort of see it try to sort of drag itself up from the ground, stand up, and then it just collapses <laughs> under its own weight almost, oh. or lack of weight. Uh, which is it, sometimes the way the fluoros move, they do seem quite real. And given the whole stories about these fluoros sort of gaining sentience and evolving, it does kind of feel like there's this sort of sh- like attempt to create life and it fails. And it's a little bit heartbreaking to see some of the fluoros just sort of lose mass and lose mass right to the point where they just sort of crumple under, you yeah, know, it- after having walked through a grate and lost uh, some of their, their physical mass. Even Arkwright himself is—it's—he's concerned about the situation because clearly his invention, which he's been—you know—if you actually look at the opening cutscene, he's been applauded by everybody, and you know it's the—it's uh, one of the, like the Nobel Prize pies and stuff like that. You know, he's so excited about this invention, and yet he's confused that they've involved almost, but almost like a proud father, he kind of watches the involvement happen around him and, and is kind of interested mm. to find out how they've involved into these different beings. Yeah, and, well, and by the end, he's actually saying that these are clearly. Uh, better examples of life than we are. They're they're smarter. They're able to do more than we are, um, and actually, they may be the future of life. Almost, I, that's certainly the feeling I got by the end of it. He is clearly far more proud of these um, creatures than he is of anything mankind itself can do. Well, it, it's it, it's definitely taking uh, influence from a lot of you know sci-fi where we're yeah. talking about like computers being closer and closer to what humans are capable of and what's the line between something being mechanical and mm. actually being alive and stuff like that it's a story and, well trodden that's for sure yeah mm. and uh, and i think it's to the game's credit that it doesn't actually focus on that 
it's just like an interesting thing that you could explore if you wanted mm-hmm. to because i i feel like if it was the if this was a heavily uh, a game heavily rooted in narrative then we would pick it apart like well this is ridiculous <laughs> why what well, how could you make water sentient um but like having that just make, makes it it gives it personality while at the same time not um it, it doesn't um, distract from what the game is trying to actually accomplish, which True. is being a a really good puzzle platformer. Right, so let's talk about the... Within the same factory area, you do get introduced to another Fleura, this Fleura being the Chaser Fleura. <laughs> um, main, Scary. Yeah, I mean, it, you can work out what this one does just from its name. It chases you, so um, what would be the, the pur- purpose of this Fleura? Scare yeah. you a lot. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. At this point, um, Arkwright's already acknowledged that these fluoros are behaving in a way that his mm-hmm. fluoros didn't. So this isn't something that someone's created. This is the fluoros themselves evolving because that's why the factory has sort of gone to pot is that these fluoros have access to lava and they are aggressive. Um, but this isn't something that would have been created um, as far as... That's certainly the way I took it. This was something different that he'd never seen before. So... So I'm going to guess that the Chaser Fluoro is... Well, I guess. I've played it, so I should know. <laughs> um, but uh, it's quite often you, you're moving through the environment and it wants to obviously chase you through this environment. So uh, certain times if there's locked doors, you can obviously open certain things, get behind locked doors, and it can't follow that route. So because it can't follow that route, it will go the opposite way to get to you. And by that, it will go through switches which you have uh, no accessibility through. Because, like all these things, they can... Uh, disappear through grates. They can mm. certainly they can go through walls. They can't really, can they? But they can they can go through areas which you can't access and uh, hit switches. Ultimately, which you need them always to hit a switch to open a door uh, and mm. progress through the next level. Um, so they they try to chase you through the environment and uh, and they can also jump quite a bit higher and further than mm-hmm. you can as well. So even though you might not be able to get somewhere, you can use your position in the level to sort of force them around a certain path or tempt them rather around a certain path to get to you um, and then panically spray them with water before they get to you. Yeah. They're used mainly for the, the physics-y style hanging switches from the ceiling. So mm. when you'd knock into it, it would then obviously unlock a door from some, from somewhere else. But you'd use the chaser fluoro to... Um, you know, to chase you to a certain part, and then he'd be he'd be obliged to jump down because he, he thinks that's the right way to go. He'd jump down, and he'd hit this switch that basically, if, if it hangs on the ceiling and he walks into it, it would flip it over and activate a door, which then you know you'd run to and um, escape away from him because they are devious little bastards indeed. So I mean, that's pretty much it. The, the, in the there there is secret areas you can get to, um, or there is a, a final door that you can open, um, which has a, a secret. Um, what they call they called electro. Uh, it's electoplasm. Electoplasm. That is, yeah, is that it. Yeah, the white, the white shiny electoplasm. Was it, was it electoplasm or protoplasm? Protoplasm. Uh-huh. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like a pinkish liquid that allows you to upgrade your yeah. hmm. your uh, well your backpack and your nozzles because you can affix different nozzles that have different functions to them. Can I ask a harsh question? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone find any of the upgrades really that useful? There's only one. Only one. The one that allows you to shoot a fluoro. It allows you to combine the fluoro with liquid and eject it straight from your gun into an area and then 
form straight into a fluoro. So you don't have to throw the fluoro down and then pour liquid on top of it. Just, you can actually yeah. just shoot it. Instant out. made fluoro. <laughs> yeah, but it also took away... Like I actually kind of liked placing the fleur on the floor and bringing yeah. it to mm. life yeah. like some creepy Frankenstein Yeah, but you, you could I do had. little tricks which you couldn't if you were going to be that way. Yeah. So, for oh, instance, true. you could yeah. push the gun almost through one of the drain walls or whatever and just fire through them the straight yeah. through the grate without yeah. having to wait for their animation to... Or sometimes, not even because you needed maybe a fleur that wanted to chase you. Um, yeah. You know, you could drop them down to a place where they were going to hit the switch rather than um, be in the wrong place. I mean, I don't know actually if some of those puzzles can't be achieved if you don't have any of the upgrades I'm going to guess I guess the game not. is designed so that you can complete the game no matter what upgrades you've got which is probably why they feel pretty meaningless yeah. um, but not meaningless but you know like featureless like you get an upgrade you're like ah great yeah it does this yeah. uh, I can do that regular hose now yeah I can just do <laughs> yeah. that anyway and the problem I had with the upgrade system was it's pretty much it's, it's, it's a very nice Wallace and Gromit looking mechanical thing but <laughs> mm. I just didn't know what was going on. It's like, well, I pour it in there, okay, yeah. Right, and then I've got to turn this nozzle. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, it's just, and then the upgrades, while well, they've got a nice image on the side, much like with the HUD with the seeds, it doesn't tell you exactly <laughs> what it is. It's like, yeah. here's a picture, you're like, all right, okay, cheers. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll upgrade it and see what happens. Yeah. And, and playing on the keyboard, I'll, you know, like some PC games nowadays, um, playing it with a pad is 10 times better. And at the end, when you have to spin the cog, I was trying it on the keyboard. It's ridiculous with the left and right keys. <laughs> I can't I found, even imagine cause, it. Because uh, it was just like, right, brilliant, uh, left, right, left, right. And it was just really <laughs> tedious. But then if you look at the, the, the screws in the cock, it's an X from the Xbox pad. And yeah. that just tells me that the, this game's designed for the Xbox well, 360, but it come on PC first. Yeah, well, let's talk about that quickly before we get into the second area. The, I mean, this is, a at the moment, it's only available on Steam. Um, and I think, what is it, like £10 or something? It, it's fairly yeah. reasonable. Mm. Um mm. And apparently, that yeah, apparently there is a console conversion in the works, but it, they, you know, they wanted to get on Steam first. Yeah, um, I don't know and if there's, there's any no due date, date, date being given for that. No, they haven't said anything yet because I checked. But yeah, I, I know what you feel it does feel like a, a console game deep down. I think it will do very well if it, if it hits mm. the uh, yeah. you know both you know, PlayStation Network and, and you know Xbox 360, um, and even iPad. I, I can imagine there's been some kind of way that you can control the uh, you know although you. Know, Alan sticks. I'm not too sure, but it, you know, imagine you could actually kind of do like almost a point-and-click adventure of this. You, know, you just point mm-hmm. over there, move to that area of the screen, fire that with the you know holding down the screen. It could work. Yeah, there's a guy at work who talks about playing Portal. He does. He plays a lot of games back in the day. He's like a big Nintendo fan, but he doesn't really play games anymore because he's a father and you know, he's got no time on his hands. But he recently picked up Portal and Portal Two, and he played Portal Two first. And I told him to play Portal in the orange box, and he absolutely loved it. And he goes, "Is there anything else like Portal?" And the only game I could think of was Vessel. And I said to him, there's a puzzle platform on PC. I don't know if it should be coming to Xbox Live. And I think if you're a big fan of Portal, like this guy was at work, he just wanted more of that. And I think I think Vessel, pretty much, it's not as obviously as polished as Portal and stuff, but it definitely offers that same gameplay vibe of you know yeah. progressive sort of puzzle nature and stuff like that. It's just a shame it's not on Xbox Live now and PSN. We shouldn't really mm. say Xbox Live only. Yeah, it's, it's just a shame it's not on all formats because yeah. this game should be played by a lot of people, I reckon. I think that's the telling thing is with a lot of um, with a lot of puzzle games, how long it takes you is dependent upon how uh, quickly you're able to see solutions to the puzzles. But mm. actually, when you talk to people about Portal, you tend to find that it took them within about an hour the same sort of length of time. And I think it's the same here. All four of us took 12 or 13 hours or so. 
And mm. by all rights, it should have taken some of us much longer than others, depending upon how was smart. well we gelled with the, the, the puzzles. <laughs> I think, actually, it speaks to how well the game is laid out in terms of the puzzles. You'll try a few things, and whether you're doing it trial and error or whether you're actually sort of sitting and looking and trying to work it out, it takes you about the same length of time, and it's just not long enough to get frustrated but long enough yeah. so that you feel like you've achieved something when you beat it. I, I don't know. There, there was a couple of puzzles there where I was, you know, standing there for half an hour just going, I do not understand what you want from me at this point. I mean, I've tried really? different... Yeah, there was a couple... I, I, you know, luckily, I, did, I guess I didn't jot them down, but in my mind, I remember there being a few where I was just... Okay, like you, you get the first part of the puzzle sorted, and you could okay, well that hits that gate, that's fine. But how then do I get something to get down there to open this gate? <laughs> I mean, there was two or three times I was like that. I mean, it wasn't mm. major, but um, but I mean that's part of the playing games. I mean, you don't need to, mm. you know, if you, every one single one you walked in the room went okay, drop, yep, drop down, in, done, right, move. Yeah. It probably wouldn't be quite as fun. But say, Josh, you you were like just just that man. You were focused. You were going through. No, no. I was going to say there was only really one point for me where I got stuck, and that was the final boss battle, um, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that, a puzzle boss battle, the one with the giant lava creature, lava and, god, yeah, and those uh, creatures controlling them. I had no idea what I was supposed to do, <laughs> and I I think I asked Desmond on Twitter what. Because up until that point, I'd been pretty all right. I, I, I mean, I there were moments where I was stuck for a little bit, but then I had the aha moment and mm-hmm. progressed. But that moment it was like, Darren, what am I doing wrong? Because, <laughs> um, because I, I, the, I think what was happening was I was completely ignoring those guys at the top of the screen. Mm-hmm who are controlling the creature, because I hadn't put two and two together that these creatures up there were controlling this monster. And then the whole puzzle actually becomes you trying to manipu- uh, manipulate those guys up there and not and completely ignoring the uh, lava monster. He He's just an obstacle to you know yeah. get past. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, by and large, I think the game is... I think that's the strongest point of the game is that the puzzles are really well designed. I think your character's controls um, are slightly iffy um, and if this was a pure platformer I'd have a bigger issue with it. Like if yeah. it was trying to be something like Super Meat Boy then I would be <laughs> ripping the shit out of the controls of this game but because that's not the focus I'm slightly less, I'm slightly yeah. more forgiving. Um but the puzzle designs are excellent. Mm-hmm. I, I really love some of them, especially when it starts introducing those uh, fluoros who run away from light or mm. uh, really like the light, because mm. I thought those are really clever. So so let's get on to these fluoros. I mean, let's leave the factory for here. I think it's a good opening point that the puzzles are fairly rudimentary, I'd say. Um, and it, but it's a nice opener. Uh, once you've completed the fact you, you, you go back to your home you have this option to you, you get introduced into upgrade all your stuff I mean you don't really know what you're doing so I just carried on went to the orchard and went uh, don't understand moving on um, so you get to the orchard now this introduce it's a big open uh, area with fruit trees and different stuff um, and you get introduced to a couple of new uh, fluoros in this area one being uh, and a new liquid actually or a couple of new liquids mm. so the first being if you water trees in this environment depending what you have on these trees um let's say for the first one they introduce you is this blue fluoro so this this tree gets watered this apple looking type thing on this tree starts to expand it drops down and it's a new kind of fluoro this fluoro 
is it drinks water. So I'm going to call it the drinking water fluoro. Or a dr- liquid, uh, drinks liquid fluoro because it can drink other substances. So the idea of this one is that it will follow wherever there is liquid on the ground. So what, whatever it may be. So you, if you let's stick with water for a second, if you put water on the left-hand side of the screen, it will sense that water if there's a big enough pile and go wandering to the left-hand side of the screen. Um, it also has an, like an alternative fire button to it. If you put too much water on the ground and it drinks too much water, then it will expand and actually burst and blow up. Now, there's a there, I like this one, I think, because it, it adds a, a couple of weird elements to puzzles. One being is that you can blow up and you can hurt other things around you, so sometimes you can destroy other fluoros that you've made. Um, or you can uh, blow up, and with your liquid that has blown from the fluoro, it can hit switches which you couldn't ever access before. So uh, you could hit a switch maybe in a tunnel that's slightly further away from you know, maybe the other side of the wall, and it can fly through and, and hit those switches. And by the way, there's many different... I, I don't think every... I think that maybe there's, there's certain puzzles that have set routes, but I can imagine you can complete puzzles in different ways. Like, something I may have done, I think if we had video, videoed all our play sessions... I think they would probably be slightly different. Maybe we may have used a different fluoro for, for different sections of them. I don't think it's so set in stone that there is one route and run route only. Because I've, I've seen a couple of, I've watched a couple of YouTube videos uh, while researching for this game. I was like, I didn't do the puzzle like that. And they were, how the hell they did that? <laughs> like, okay. That's the hallmark of a great puzzle game, though, isn't it? It's, um, it's making you feel like that you haven't done what the developers want you to do, want you to do. You've pretty much worked it out in your head and you know there are a number of ways of doing it but you feel like you've created that way as opposed to you know the developers train yeah. track did remind me do um the color the the, the colored fluids have any um benefits over each other i know it was you know, obviously water no. but um you know th- I this i read someone suggest that the red fluoro was slightly smarter than the blue fluoro but i think that i i didn't see that at all oh uh, no i i just thought the only reason why they were different colors is because when the two combine together oh. boom. <laughs> yes um but it's just the idea of i think they wanted to introduce the idea of um liquids interacting with each other and creating different effects for example if water touches lava it creates yep. steam um if the green if the green stuff touches lava it makes mm. it like glowy fog which is interesting yeah. it's really um, cool yeah it, it's one of the cooler aspects of the game the way how the way that the different liquids interact with each other mm-hmm. and uh, you do actually bring up one of the things that which ha- also happens in the orchard level which is they introduce you to the red um liquid now red and blue in this world combine and they cause purple that right? Yeah, it's purple. Yeah, purple. That's right. Yeah. Well, for a little while. Yeah, of course, purple. Um, and once, once whatever the, the thing turns purple, then it has a combustible effect, and will go bang. Um, this have multiples of things. You can blow certain things up, of course, but also um, you can create steam or create a combustion thing. So maybe you can get a piston starting again, which you wouldn't be able to do before. Which is exactly one of the puzzles towards the end is starting the piston up. So quite often you have to get blue liquid or get a red liquid flowing in an area where you need a blue fluoro to actually wander through. Uh, which is some yeah, it's that's all part of the puzzle, but it's sometimes harder said than done. Just trying to work out that mechanic of well, how do, can I draw liquid because they only know what about five seconds at most maybe four three seconds before they start exploding oh, those those exploding fluoros were especially near the end of the game with the bane mm. of my existence because yeah. it seemed like when they exploded your 
uh, your resilience to the explosion. Fair enough, it's, it's an explosion. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, you, sh- you should be hurt, but it just felt like I was taking far too much damage. Like you, mm. your screen would feel red with a uh, sort of like you know like the typical first-person shooter. You know, you're getting shot effects are on the screen and I, I was nowhere near him really it was just like oh there'd be like a little tiny speck on the floor of purple you're like oh whatever that oh god I'm nearly dead um, oh yeah I feel like the, the purple explodey fluoros and I, I know it's not like a super competitive, competitive game like a Super Meat Boy for example but I could have done with that being toned down a little bit because I'd get three quarters of the way for a puzzle I think I'd be safe with this purple fluoro and it'd pop and I'd be like oh <laughs> god that's me back to the start and luckily the checkpointing is pretty decent in this game there was maybe one or two times I was a bit gutted that it took me far, too far back but for the most part I was um, yeah, so, so, uh, pleased with the checkpoints so the orchard area overall it, it looked it looked fairly nice and nice to be outside once you, you're from the yeah. factory but it, mm. I don't think it was the best area it didn't feel like no. the best designed it just felt like they had the, the factory and the mines linked together and they just thought you know we could do some more here and they just put like a totally differently uh, totally well, different look you in, still kind of went underground as well you went like in, into the soil underneath the orchard areas mm. so I don't think yeah I don't think they're as good at making more organic structures than they are at making quite mechanical structures because all the things that look you know, like the factory and the mines and all that stuff. All their mechanisms and machines look really great. But the trees look kind of rubbish, if I'm yeah. going to be honest. Yeah. And the grass looks really fake and Barbie doll house looking is the best way I could describe it. You know, that kind of fake grass that you'd have. Yeah. It's not very interesting, to be honest. Uh, I did enjoy the orchard levels and shaking the trees was uh, something very satisfying. I don't know what it was about that. I think it's the it's the brilliant physics mechanics. I was just like, oh, I'm going to shake this tree, see if I can do that. Because you can pretty much grab onto anything and M. Arkwright, you know, reacts to the to the world in his little physics-y way. And yeah, just shaking the trees to get the floors off was, well, it was, it was one of those little little small highlights. That you're just like, oh, that's why this game is, you know, really good. So the last area, which they introduce you, once again, you can come back to the, the main hub area, upgrade all your, all your different stuff if you so wish. I mean, by which time you've probably collected a lot of the uh, electoplasm. It's not that. Protoplasm. Protoplasm. <laughs> You've got it stuck in there now yeah, on the thing I mean, Ghostbusters. So just quickly on the upgrades, there, there's one nozzle and you can upgrade the size of your tank on, on, the, on your back, so how much liquid mm. you can hold, but it doesn't tend to make that much difference. And as we've already said, you tend to have a supply of liquid nearby to recharge anyway. Um, and you can upgrade the nozzles so that you can shoot wider or further or you can shoot uh, sort of blobs of liquid rather than streams of liquid but you, I don't th- I think I'm right in saying because I got all the protoplasm you can't do all the upgrades in a game huh. but no you can't no but, but you don't need to yeah yeah I, I I got to the end of the game and had uh, I think 20 uh, vials of protoplasm and just went and upgraded all of it to see if I could get all the upgrades um, actually it was more than that it was more like 30 um, and the it just felt like okay I'm doing this because it's there mm-hmm. it really didn't mm. affect my ability to complete the puzzles all that much uh, at all there's also in, in that room where you can do the upgrades or is it that one adjacent to it but back in your factory kind of little area your little home there's this big mechanical machine um, and different things are unlocking within this room so suddenly like the, the blue um blue liquid can now be accessed in this room where it couldn't be before, water can be um, different things on the wall like t- different chalkboards, if you stand near them start to reveal, uh, there's this big chamber in the room, start to reveal a pattern of what you need to do in this big chamber, you don't know what it's leading to, but it, and that was a bit weird as well, it's like well what 
what is this? I have no idea why I should even be looking and like messing around the switches yeah. and pulling stuff. I'm just going, I don't even, like, I don't understand why That's this is here. You, you go past it in the first place, and Arkwright sort of says, there's something interesting about fluoros, but I can't quite work out what it is. And you get the hint that you're going to work out what to do with this machine, but mm-hmm. you don't really know why he's built it. Um, you, you don't really know what the end game is. And I never had the, an inclination to play with that at all until the very end when it indicated, okay, go back and sort this out now. So the last area we, we wander into is the mines. Uh, I love this area. I thought this was a really... Yeah. It, they, they mess around with the, the darkness a lot in this. So, for instance, you can hold lanterns, which you know glow throughout the dark. Um, they introduce you to a, another fluoro... A, well, two fluoros and another liquid. Um, the two fluoros they introduce you to is a dark fluoro and a light fluoro. Obviously, the dark fluoro doesn't like light, so it runs away from that, and the light fluoro doesn't like darkness, so it runs <laughs> from the darkness. Um, they also introduce you to another liquid, which is a green liquid, and this is luminescence. So if you spray this on the ground, then it, it can you know, reveal the way in a dark area by uh, illuminating that area. And if you spray it on... If you make fluoros from it, then they can run through an area and reveal you know places where you couldn't see before, and you know or guide uh, a light fluoro that what needs the light it will follow those ones. So once again, fairly elaborate uh, setups for you know multiple fluoros at this point because you're you're fairly averse to well um, your abilities have become fully um, immersed within the game, and uh, you're using all the different fluoros. And some puzzles require you to almost use you know all four or five different fluoros at once to yeah. kind of unlock doors and open areas and uh, escape through these areas. We should probably say at this point that in each area you're introduced to the new fluoro and the new liquid before you have access to either of them in your backpack or as you know your collection of fluoros. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of requires you to get used to how you're going to be able to use these new fluoros. And, and then once you do get the liquid and once you have sort of captured the fluoro and have access to it as a seed, um, it, it feels like it gives you so much more scope in the world, although the puzzles still remain just as challenging. But you suddenly feel, especially in the mines I felt, you're trying to tempt fluoros to different places so that you can see where you're going and and work out where you need to go and then suddenly you get the luminescent liquid in your backpack and it just feels like oh this isn't a problem now I can just spray this liquid see where I'm going and I'm self-sufficient I guess rather than being relying on rather than relying on the pre-existing fluoros in the area to to kind of have to manipulate them Mm -hmm. which I thought was really clever yeah this game's got a very Nintendo school of thinking when it comes to training you as the player Mm. Um, games like Super Metroid or or Zelda, for example, they give you an item and they put you in a situation where you have to use the item to get out of the room. Be like, oh, this door's locked and I've just got uh, the Morph Ball in Metroid Prime, for example. And then you'd have to go searching around for a little tiny hole to you know, morph into and roll out and you know, you'd know, you get the little satisfying jingle. And I, I definitely felt this way with um, with Vessel. It's like, you know, you've got the the, the explodey fluoro who had hit a switch on the ceiling when it exploded. And to get to certain sections, like the, the orchard and the mine, in the overworld hub that you had, you had to use the fluoros to unlock these areas mm-hmm. to, to ensure that you were good enough as the player to enter them. And I thought that was a really, you know, like I said, a very Nintendo school you of thinking. You fully about, understand right? the mechanics of this fluoro. Uh, you, don't just, you haven't just and, wandered into this area and been stuck. Yeah, yeah so you come up to the door and you're like, oh, I need to get into the mines. How do I do that? And then you'd piece it all together and then, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd pull off a, like a, a really an amazing, uh, an amazing solution to this puzzle and it just... Like, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because it just makes you feel so smart and I'm really not. Well, well I mean, we'd, let's try to wrap this up now, but um, 
I think that the main mechanics that I like the most is the ones where you need two fluoros to interact with each other. So say it's water and um, the lava fluoro. There's another liquid you get is, is lava liquid. Um, so you need to interact with those two to create steam. With that steam, you can then send the machine off. Or say it be one of the luminescent ones which you know set off their own kind of vapour. You need to get that vapour into certain uh, areas. And I always liked that because it was combining multiple elements together and clashing them. And yeah, it never um, becomes... It's always fun when you have exploding fluoros over the place, which but the mine <laughs> area just takes delight in doing that. I mean, there's yeah. there's an area towards the end where I think I, I had to touch the slowdown because it was trying to blow too many things up at once. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, in the mines, I think there's one area where you have to make a lava, lava fluoro that's going to chase you and a water fluoro that's going to... that's going to run towards... I think it's going to intercept water, it, it? Mm-hmm. And, and you have to time it so that they meet under a, a sort of steam collector valve yeah. or oh, steam yeah. collector um, hood um, and they collide, let the steam go up and you feel like you've just created something really special when you <laughs> do that you know, try it a couple of times and it doesn't quite work timing wise and, and then you do it and you just see them walking towards one another and you know it's going to work um, and it's really great and the area you're referring to, Tony, is a giant room where you've got red and blue fluoros being created all around you, and you're having to manipulate red and blue liquid into uh, pots on either side of the room to make them explode uh, to open up doors that you need to get out of at the bottom. So you're sort of manoeuvring across the room from side to side, trying to work out the values you need to change, Whilst avoid trying to get the hit. purple yeah. liquid, yeah. Um, a touch of slowdown is an understatement. I got a lot of slow slowdown in that room. Yeah. In any room where I had a lot of fluoros and running between rooms, I would suddenly find myself sort of moon running. I, I never had it that bad, but it, it's fair to say this game isn't bug free. That I had, yeah. I've had solutions. Like I, I known the solution to a room. I've run with it. Like this is a clear solution, and the fluoros just have refused to play ball. So you can uh, there's a button to actually reset puzzles. I've yeah. run the same solution, almost identical in every single way, and then bang, they've done exactly what I wanted. And there was no rhyme. It's like the AI just decided it wasn't going to wander that way. Um, there's I've had a, a couple of weird crashes. There's a one one funny one where um, if you produce a, a fluoro, the seed instead of being round was a square white blob box like yeah it's like what and it made it kind of funny but at the same time it's like kind of breaks breaks the immersion but yeah it's a it's a smaller game and as you've already said darren there's been a patch to fix certain issues yeah yeah. Mm. and the control issues that uh, josh referred to earlier um there was a couple of puzzles where i felt the controls got in my way when you did need to jump at certain times Mm. or or get your timing right there's one room in the factory where you have to run uh right to left then create a fluoro to open up a a door that allows you to jump on it and all the while you're dodging lava fluoros that are coming down towards you through the level Um, I got really frustrated with that because timing had to be not precise but it had to be fairly well you know you had to be fairly on the money Um, and the number of times where I just felt like the controls were getting in my way because the jump wasn't quite what it needed to be it, it was a little frustrating but for the most part they do, they um, dodged that by just designing the puzzle so well that it was about knowing what you had to do rather than being able to execute it uh, perfectly that that bit with the with the ladders that Josh referred to earlier I had trouble jumping yeah. onto the ladders and actually catching the ladders it took me a while to work yeah, out yeah. I'd mustered on that jump like 20 times I was like what am I doing wrong and finally working it I out mean, the, the other thing is that 
that room was where I realized that the ability to sort of drop off the ladder and then jump in midair, you, you can jump without being physically on something. And you almost needed that there. You had to sort of push your way left or right off the ladder, just a fraction, get away from the ladder and then hit jump and you would sort of kick off sort of mm. mid, you know, empty air and, and jump quite a bit further. But if you tried to actually jump off the ladder, you almost always came up short. So let's wrap this up. I, I don't even really feel the need to actually spoil the ending of this because um, I don't really feel like, you know, we've talked about story to a, to a degree, um, but I, I don't think it will give anything any, anybody to know the ending. And if they have been inspired to try this game, I think it would be a nice little kind of send-off huh. to what you have in the end. Uh, so let's just say that you have all the abilities um, by the end of this game. Um you you put them into this machine and then something happens. Why not? Yeah, by this point, I mean, the ending's sort of a bit of a, a blindside, really, because you don't know what this machine's for. Um, Arkwright has been growing in his admiration for the fluoros mm-hmm. and what they can do, and seeing that the fluoros have created other fluoros and have started to manipulate themselves makes him sure that they are sort of they are superior to us in many ways they can do things we can't and are smarter than us in in some ways um and so he decides well it becomes apparent what this machine's for and he decides to put that into action but it it does kind of come from nowhere there's not many hints at what this machine's for before that point well if if you want to tackle what happens we we can no no that's fine no it's just it seems it seems to sort of come out I, I hadn't, left there way, was yeah. Many, yeah. hadn't felt there was much clue as to, to what decision Arkwright was going to make at the end of the game because there wasn't a clue as to what that machine did. Oh, mm. See, now I want to talk about the end. Now you... Now you <laughs> <laughs> right, quickly. So you put all the, you put all the, um, all the ingredients in, so it'll be a, a, it's a... It's a blue fluoro, a red fluoro, um, and then you need to... Uh, a fluoro that's about to explode... Oh, is it about to explode? It is, isn't it? And then it, it produces the, the green steam. Well, that's the green green one, isn't it? It produces the green yeah. luminescent steam. Arkwright Arc- 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 finds that this green steam that's produced when lava meets the, the, luminescent, um, fluor- the luminescent liquid is a sort of stabilising agent to the purple fluoro that's created between the blue and red. I think that's pretty much what it is, uh-huh. which, which allows it this... It stops it from exploding, Exactly. It, it stabilises yeah. it enough so that this new purple liquid can exist as a fluoro without exploding. Yeah, exactly, Josh. Yeah. Uh, so you combine... In fact, this is a bit tricky. I, I, I run the, that puzzle two or three times, never had yeah. the, the result. Did a little bit of research online because it was two o'clock in the morning and I wanted to finish mm-hmm. the game um, mm-hmm. and realised that it's really finina key about when you have to let that green yeah. guy go. So it's almost you need to create the green fluoro and then run straight into that chamber and set it off. Uh, if you have any delay in that time then it doesn't work. And, you and if you're not careful, the chalkboard will stop you as it rewrites itself. Because as you're doing this puzzle, uh, God, yes. it rewrites itself and you get frozen there whilst you're seeing the door. There's a hatch into this sort of machine that you like jump into. yeah, And it closes before you get there if that chalkboard stops and, you. And if that happens, then you have to kind of redo the puzzle again, get the blue guy, get the red yeah. guy. But um, So with that, all those elements are correct. You've managed to, to avoid some of the bugs in it. Um, <laughs> you create in into this new kind of sentient being. <laughs> yeah. Made made out of protoplasm and stuff. It kind of quashes any... Like it, most games would have that as sort of like a lead-on to a sequel, but 
I can't really see Vessel 2 happening because what do you do? Like, he's just some sort of weird, well, like, godlike creature, and then he just sort of does he vanish? I don't really know you, where he you, goes. You I could can't... have said that about Portal, of course. You know, well, you just shoot mm. portals through the wall, and what can you do? They added obviously liquid uh, dynamics in that, which you could argue this already has, but I'm sure, you know, if you turned into that now a glowy. Uh, photoplasm thing your abilities are going to be somewhat different maybe you can siphon through walls but not go through water or something like that, there's a reverse of the (laughs) dynamics. Well I kind of see that as a definitive end though if we're taking like there's very much like a Frankenstein's monster kind of thing going on throughout this game where the creator is becoming more and more in love slash afraid with the monster he's created mm-hmm. um, and kind of wants to, part of him wants to destroy it and part of him wants to become it. Um, well, And the game decides to end it with him essentially becoming what he has created. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the um, creators trying to bring like this like bring all the story elements they've laid down in the game into this kind of conclusion. The only problem is is that because the story has been so in the background for most of the game, that ending feels kind of weird and un The best way I can describe it is it's unearned. It doesn't feel like the True. ending yeah. is earned the way mm-hmm. some other twist endings are. Yeah. Arkwright does kind of have a character arc, but you're never asked to buy into it and the weird thing for me is that the protoplasm in this game is kind of a collectible you've got to find it in the areas you're in you've got to complete little mini puzzles to get to it it's not obvious it is hidden and you can collect them all and get an achievement for collecting them all but you're never shown that it's a special liquid in any way you use it to upgrade but the upgrades aren't useful so you don't really put any value Mm -hmm. in protoplasm so the fact that arkwright turns into this protoplasm composed being kind of so walks we don't know that protoplasm can do anything special aside from maybe he can run into someone's gun and upgrade it to a super gun but (laughs) you know what i mean if if we knew that protoplasm was somehow this special liquid that could do something really cool you would think wow the prospect of what this guy can now do is special yeah maybe um like fire the photoplasm over one of the the fluoros and it changes their abilities into something entirely different like it has a Mm. has a mind of its own that it can change whatever it touches or or can he now teleport or can he now Mm. stop time you know there needs to be something special about this liquid other than it's just a currency to upgrade and a a collectible um unless the next game is we play dark right and collect him or i don't know <laughs> who knows but or you're a hose salesman i don't know you just <laughs> manifest hoses so um quickly before our final thoughts i just want to say that um the music in this game is is quite beautiful very haunting um i think it's the best soundtrack this year it's great um, yeah it's, it's done it by is... john hopkins um yeah who apparently is a producer on um la vida la Vida. I can't remember the Gold, the Coldplay album. Um, he was the producer of that, right. and um, also one of my favourite artists called Imogen Heap, who's got this brilliant kind of um, electric acoustic kind of haunting sound to her mm. her music. Yeah. So uh, it was it was strange because um, Liz was hearing me play this from the other room, and she was commenting how how it kind of reminds her of some of the stuff that she loves. And one of her favourite artists is Imogen Heap. So uh, obviously there's yeah. some similarities to that stuff. But yeah, like you say, Josh, it's it's a really great soundtrack. And not just because the music's great. Um, I think what makes it great for me is 
that it's quite dynamic it changes mm. based mm. on what you're doing like if you're um, for example if you've got water uh, being squirted in your face at fast succession the music kind of picks up in pace or yeah. when you're just uh, you know lolling about and not doing much it slows down what? or when if there's a lot of stuff going around you like there are a load of fluoros going around it gets more excitable and weird yeah it, it's basically mm. as, as the player figures out the puzzle the music gets more intense very much like Portal 2, to be honest. Uh, Portal 2 has that step-by-step progression of like, oh, you've put the portal there, that's correct, and then they'd add a layer of music on top of that to let you know that uh, the, you know you, the player know. Yeah, it's like the drums and the bass start yeah. kicking in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a very well, um, very well designed piece of audio. That's Valve 101, isn't it? Give the player cues without actually popping a little sort of, well done, you have completed step one up on the screen. It's through visual and audio cues that you know which way you're going, what you're doing, that you're doing it right. And definitely you get that sense with Vessel. And it's also got the visuals to boot. Um, the fact that it looks so interesting, um, and then with the music on top of that, it really makes you feel like there's a an, there's intentional choices being made in design mm-hmm. and thought gone into this game beyond just actually being able to create some, some really excellent puzzles. So. Okay, so... Final thoughts, uh, Darren. Recommend this game? Oh yeah, this game's up there with uh, with Limbo for me. Uh, I think it's even better than Braid. I don't really get on with Braid, and it sort of has the same sort of you know um, level playing field. It's sort of like you know it's a puzzle platformer, and it you know it definitely deserves to be up there with Limbo. Um, I can see uh, you know we mentioned a few of the flaws. I can see that getting in people's ways you know for the moment, for, for some for some part of the game. And I can only assume that the Xbox Live and PSN versions are being delayed is because of the feedback that people may have given the developers that they're going to implement some more context on the screen for the player yeah. and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, overall, um, a game that, oh, like for, for a game that I was just, you know, I was interested in. I wanted, to, I wanted to cover it for, you know, for the for the site and stuff. But I, I didn't expect to sit there and play it for the whole weekend. And mm. before I knew it, twelve hours had gone. Like. Not many games do that to me. Like I, I'm, I'm usually conscious of how long I'm, you know, I'm spending on a game, and I just think, right, I should really stop after an hour or two, because you know you get the sort of the game of guilt kicking in. But this, with this, it was just like, okay, that's the evening gone, <laughs> and uh, I really, really appreciate those games that do that to me because that's the sign of a of a great game. The evening's gone, and you're in your underpants. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> James. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean. Essentially, I played this game because I wanted to uh, play Dear Esther and be on that show, uh, and this was the one that went with it, which sounds ridiculous, and it sounds like a real disservice to this game. Um, If it doesn't end up on Xbox Live and PSN, it's a real missed opportunity, because the controls... I mean, I used a controller to play it, an Xbox controller plugged into my uh, PC. Um, They would work well. The aesthetic's great. It's just about the right sort of length. If they, you know, pop this in as a downloadable title, it would, it would just be fantastic, I think. And and it's um, a real interesting experience and a real, um, a real sort of gem amongst a really good crop of downloadable games this year. It's it's right up there. Josh. Um, yeah, I really like this game. Um, I agree with much of what uh, Desmond, uh, Desmond, Darren said. <laughs> um, it, it is up there with Limbo. I, I, it's not a perfect game. We've talked about like glitches and problems, and the controls aren't perfect either. But it does a lot of things that I personally really like and uh, really well. I like good puzzle design, and this game has good 
good puzzle design. I like atmosphere. This game has a lot of atmosphere. And the soundtrack is really weird, interesting, and I really like it. Uh, it's worth checking out just to see something that's a little bit off the beaten path. I can't imagine it's it's too PC spec intensive. No, I, I think it could easily be ported to 360. Um, yeah, my my thoughts are I I don't I, I don't feel like I can put it in the in the same league as something like a, a Limbo game because I don't think it has quite the charm, the charm, quite the same kind of feeling of uniqueness. I, I don't know. I think it, because it, there's so much puzzling in it. it, we've already talked about how the story kind of loses, is kind of pushed to one side. It tries to regain it back at the very end of the game, and it doesn't really kind of earn it and justify it. So it comes more back down to um, the puzzles themselves. I think it's a very, very neat little puzzle game. And, and in fact, if it if it had already landed on uh, any of the console networks and I think a lot more people would be talking about it and, and saying wow this is absolutely fantastic um, as it's on Steam you know the, the chat has been slightly less but uh, I've, I've certainly enjoyed playing it but um, at times it felt maybe it, it slightly outstayed its welcome I think 12 hours seemed a little excessive um, like maybe they could have lost one or two puzzles and made it a little bit tighter um, which maybe they, they might do for the, the 360 version you never know so I don't think it's a masterpiece but I think it's an absolute solid um, interesting platforming stroke fluid manipulation game and one you should check out and definitely worth the, the asking price basic background you need to know for this game is that it was a, a mod released, uh, first released in 2008. Uh, it's a free mod that um, was built on the Source engine, so Half-Life 2 engine in particular. Um, and I don't know how, how I'm meant to introduce this, other than saying we could have an interesting discussion for the next two hours about whether this is a game or not. I'm going to verge on the side of saying it's probably not, but we're we're getting into that. So what this what this actually is, this is a a I see I'm, I'm relevant to reluctant to say game, <laughs> but let's go with this. This is a game where you're moving through the environment. Um, it's it's a kind of beautiful island, um, 
and a story is being told to you or a narrative is running throughout the environment. So the basics of this is you push forward, you walk up to a hill, you enter a shack uh, or a, you know, whatever, a little stone building and in that stone building you can look around and there's a piece of narrative that plays while you're looking around that. And that pretty much describes the game. You, you continue doing this for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours if you're taking your time to look at the entirety of the areas. But you wander... Um, you don't really interact, you have a torch, you can shine that onto areas that maybe you couldn't see uh, with. But you kind of ex just explore, kind of experience the environment you in, you're in and you listen to the narrative being told. Now, I know, I think we all have slightly different interpretations of what that narrative is and what the meaning of that is. But Josh, you went to a, a BAFTA talk um, regarding this game and actually talked to the people that made it. So... Yeah. You're probably better qualified than any of us here to kind of lay out what the narrative is or what this game was meant to be. Um, well, the thing about the... Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you the things that are constant for everyone who plays this game. You are some unknown guy narrating the story and wandering through the landscape. What is defi what's definitely happened is a woman called Esther has died mm -hmm. and it is heavily suggested that she died in a car crash um, now the details uh, that the story gives you as you go along uh, is different for each person because uh, the way the uh, game chooses to tell its story is that you hit a certain point that triggers a piece of dialogue and it actually randomly picks from like three or four pieces of dialogue and depending on what piece of dialogue you get depends on what your interpretation but of the story they is. They are still area contextual. So, you know, if you're in a cave three quarters away from the game, they're not going to be the something from the start. Yeah, like, for example, there's a point where you're on top of, like, a cliff area. And on that cliff area, there's a trigger point, And that trigger point... Uh, will pick from like three pieces of dialogue and it's always every time you play the game it always just be three pieces of dialogue it chooses from but it means that every time you play through it the story is slightly different and some of the details of the story are slightly different uh, the downside to that is that the story actually doesn't make any sense <laughs> um, uh, and deliberately it they the the designers were talking about they would they didn't actually want to have a solid, like, set-in-stone story. They wanted the player to really use their imagination and interpret it in their own so, way. So, but the... the, I mean, if I think we could all probably just about manage to gain an overarching story, which is the, the narrator that you are controlling essentially could be what? Her spirit? Move, I mean, the, the end, um, the end well, of the game, you, you jump off a tower... Uh, symbolizing that almost you know that's it you've managed to kind of ascend to heaven because you jump and then fly yeah. over this environment so if we say that point a is that you enter this environment and point z is where you ascend to heaven then surely it's kind of somebody's faults or journey pattern between those two points i mean a bit like journey in that regards uh, for me personally because in when i played through it it was heavily suggested that the guy narrating it uh, was her husband mm -hmm. but apparently that's not constant that can be different um, so when I was playing the game I thought I was her husband and at the mm. end um, I, well, we're, we're spoiling the game anyway it's, I think we, uh, we, there's we, no way we can not talk jumps, about this without. he jumps off the top of uh, a tower and 
what I interpreted that as as a grieving husband committing suicide. You see, I saw it differently. Going into the afterlife. Yeah, yeah I saw it um, um, as that he finally let her go. Like it, the spirit of her, he's finally embraced and just said, "Okay, you can now be set free and fly." I, I, I would, f- I'm, I can, I would have understood that theory if it wasn't for the fact that I saw a ghost of a woman. Uh, walking yeah. up the cliff. Did anyone well, else not, see that? N- yes. Uh, so, so some research into this. Apparently there's 10 ghosts in this game. Um, yeah. There's actually a YouTube video you can easily search by putting ghosts and dear Esther. Um, and you'll see them all in different areas. The most obvious one you, you can actually see is there's an area towards the back end of the game um, where there's candles in a lake. Uh, one of the candles themselves is actually a ghost. So if you walk around and look at the reflection of the candle you can see like a ghost light figure protruding from the candle the flame itself uh, and you can see that clearly in the water but yeah they're on top of cliffs um, there's a, a ship that you, you see in the, in the game and if you look to the left of the ship there's a, a clearly uh, a person standing on top of the cliff I actually didn't notice any of these in the game so this was new to me doing really? the research for this. Yeah, I I think I had a flicker in that something moved, which I thought that can't be because this game's not doing. <laughs> like it clearly to me, it wasn't going to be trying to challenge any kind of gameplay narrative such as that. But so Darren, you you said you saw one. Uh, yeah, there's um, it was quite nearly, well, quite nearly. It was quite early on in the game. Uh, you're walking down to sort of like a beachy area, and I, I know that pretty much the whole game is a beachy area, but that's the best way I can describe it, and. I was playing this game at really early in the morning. It was like six a.m. or seven a.m. because I was just I was just up and I had to do I had to go to work. And I was like, oh, I'll play the rest of it. I heard it's quite short, and I'll give it a shot. And uh, yeah, I played it in one sitting, which I think the game should be played at. Yeah. And I was really bleary eyed. I was I was on the, I was on the coffee, and I was just like, yeah, let's play some DRS. Let's just chill out. It's it's early morning. Chill out on and, coffee. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how much coffee I have. I just chill out on it now. And uh, yeah, I was just sitting there, just admiring the the um you know the the scenery. And this thing in the corner of the screen just sort of shimmered on on the, on a hillside. And I walked up there, and it had gone. And I was mm-hmm. like, that can't be. What's going on? Like, it really played with me. I was like, "Am I t- am I that tired, or is it? Is it was that is that the game?" There's actually missing? one. Um, as you if you stand long enough next to the cave entrance, there's one that actually does Morse code. Um, like the flashing light basically shimmers off them. Um, yeah. And it was that the, there was a I should have written down what the Morse code, but it was gibberish. It, it made no sense to me. Clearly, it, it was something slightly out there. I look for it because it, it's probably interesting if you know exactly what the Morse code meant. But to me, it was just a word or two or three words kind of progressed together. Yeah. The one I saw was heading down to the ship, and it was in the distance, and it looked like a boy out at sea. It, it was sort of very dark and very small, um, and I got the impression that, because when I went over there, it, it had gone, and the boy that was in the sea was in a different place, so I sort of thought, well, that wasn't it. Um, I got the impression that that was put there to take me down that path, because... Mm. It looks like when you start the game there are branching paths, but actually you realise there is only one route through, really. There are dead ends you can go down and see other, just little things laid out for you to find. And it seemed to me like the the little ghosts that I, I never really ever got a clear sight of one. I just got impressions of things flickering in or, or leading me in certain directions. They seem to be leading you down those dead ends to find the other stuff that's there. Um and and so whenever I saw a flicker and thought, did I just see something? I inevitably went in that direction to go and see what it was. Um, well, 
So, so there's two questions I want to, to put to you guys, and I think we'll produce a, a long enough discussion on this game. Is the first clearly? I, I don't think any of us have a, a great hand of what the narrative was, other than this, like the stories being told from um, Esther's life. Um, I think that well, I guess this will link in with my second question: is like, is this a game? Um, I mean, ultimately, there is no interaction. Your interaction is just exploring the environment. And that takes a little getting used to the fact that you can't do anything. You walk at this, just a walking pace. There is no running. There's nothing. You just walk, and and the the, the narrative is is put over you. But I think the game does itself a disservice. Now, Josh, you were there, so you know clearly they wanted the game to be like this. But I felt yeah. like the game could have been so much more impactful. I, I think this could work as an as an a way of telling the story that you have a little bit of control of the you know although it's a very set and strict narrative you have a little bit of control of how you access access that narrative and it's not just a cutscene that's fed to you but because it's so random it and nothing feels as contextualized as you want it so for instance if i was deeply invested into this story and it was a story of dear esther of esther and this was an island that um was her and her husband's favourite island they love to visit or maybe they brought their sailing ship to this island and it was a special place between them so when as you walked up to that the first area so you walked up to the the hut this is somewhere they stayed and the books in that hut you can look at them but if they were relevant to that person's life and there was a little talking about you know this was her favourite book um, she loved you know Dickens uh, and certain aspects of that book and you walked away from it, I think you would have a sense of who this person was, what this place meant to her. And as you progress through that island, you come to the beach. This is where, you know, we saw our kids grow up. Um, as you maybe progress in the caves, this is where, you know, we set candles and, and you know, set uh, camp for one night. Like, I think if they had context of each environment I was walking to, I would have been really invested to it. Because I think this can work as a as a, a narrative, something where you actually explore, you can take in at your own leisure, and it's not being fed to you as a cutscene. But because there was no context to it, what it felt like, I was just walking slowly through a beautiful locale. And that was it, with a story that didn't make much sense, which was kind of airy over me. It came off like almost a bit too pretentious. Just... Um, I'm, I'm just going to say, because you just said it there, I really hate the word pretentious. I know, but <laughs> because, like the game because, sets itself um, up so brilliantly for it. I, well, I feel like people use the word pretentious to avoid describing why they actually dislike the game. Which... Uh, for me, the reason why I dislike the game is ultimately it's not very engaging. Um, I, I, I think there are plenty of games that have attempted something similar to Dear Esther. Uh, Journey, for example, I'm just going to say there are a lot of similarities yeah. with what Journey is trying to do and what Dear Esther is doing. It's just that Journey manages to do it in a way that engages the player, and Dear Esther does it in a way that bores the player. Well, what, and w- um, what I wanted to do, I didn't want us to fall down the, the, the hole of saying, well, this isn't a game. Like, clearly, this isn't a game. This could be the first it's not a game we ever do on Kane and Rince, and it, it's quite funny for that. But there is there is something here to be told. I think there there is something in this this method of storytelling that isn't explored enough in gaming. It's in, it's a story, but it's interactive storytelling. But I don't think it explores and plays with the concept enough. It's just it's, it's so abstract; it loses itself. Um, just 
because I went to this talk. Uh, the talk I went to, by the way, was with the creative director at uh, the Chinese Room development team called Dan uh, Pinchbeck. Um, and it was interesting hearing him talk about the ideas behind this game because it almost felt like going into this, it wasn't necessarily like a passion project for the development team. It was more like an experiment. Mm. Like, let's see what would happen if we take away everything that is traditionally considered gameplay from a game and make it purely this, and just purely this. And it wasn't so much them um, thinking, oh, we're going to make this game that everyone's going to love. It was more like, let's challenge ourselves to try and do something that is really limiting and really and doesn't give us a lot of options in terms of what we can do with the player except for these very specific tools um, and I admire that team's willingness to do something this kind of dare and that's the thing although I kind of don't like this game I'm kind of glad it exists just to see what this kind of thing would be like but at the same time I kind of can feel the lack of love that's gone into it it kind of just feels like somebody playing about with what a game can be rather than really being invested in I, I don't know about lack of love I think the love is evident I mean what we've already said I mean this was a, a game that was you know if you if you look at the comparison videos for what this turned out to be from the, the mod from the source engine it's Dramatic, and you know the art assets that's gone into this would have taken painstaking amount of hours to draw up. I mean, we haven't said this, but the game looks beautiful, and it can do that, of course, because there is no interactivity. Nothing needs to do anything. The player has no involvement with the, the environment other than maybe wandering into the water. So they can put every single you know polygon and every single kind of rotation of the uh, the engine just to make this game look beautiful, because that's all they need to do. It, it, while we're on that subject, it's worth mentioning what Dan said at the talk. Um, when they because the source engine is open for anyone to use as a modern a modding tool, and it's free to use for everyone. But when um, you want to make a game that you know you want to make money off of, uh, Valve have to give their say. So they have to you know say Write okay, off, you can yeah. use our engine. Mm. Um, apparently, the re the the number one reason why Valve said, okay, you can use our engine to make money, is the fact that they made their engine look so good. <laughs> so Valve were just like, you are making our, at this point, eight-year-old engine look better than most games released on, you know, uh, really high-spec computers. Yes, of course you can use our engine. So, uh, James and Darren, I mean, obviously Josh and me have talked to our feelings about this. You know, how did you get on with this? Yeah, dear Esther, I was really excited for it, and I don't know why, because I I guess I was more excited about the the prospect of playing, well, experiencing a thing uh, in the Source Engine. I think the Source Engine was the biggest pull for me, and I'm a bit of a Valve, you know, Valve fan, and a, a lot of um a lot of sort of podcasts and stuff like that were talking about it, and they were saying it's a really you know it looks really promising, and it's going to be like a you know. Uh, a game, oh, a, a game-changing experience for the, you know, for, for the art, the art-style games, and uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was actually looking forward to it, and then, you know, I, I bought it on day one, and like I said, I played it in the morning. But this, um, I, I don't think I'd ever play another one like this. 
Um, just, just purely because it's just that these things aren't for me. Uh, games that rely on narrative aren't my thing. I'm more of a vessel kind of guy where, where the mechanics come first and the narrative comes second. That That's more my style. But um, it's a shame. Well, it's not a shame, but I, I'm kind of glad that they said that the story doesn't make sense because I've come away from that thinking... <laughs> what, what happened there? Like, I don't really know. Am I stupid? Am I not? And again, it's like the total opposite to um, Vessel, where the game made me feel pretty dumb. I was like, I don't really get it. I, I guess I'm a man who's in a coma, who's like, you know, she's died in the car crash, and I'm a guy in a coma walking around, and then I've like flatlined at the end and flown off to the sky and, you know, to heaven. That That's sort of the impression I got. And yeah, um, I think at the end of the game, well, the end of the... It's, it's fine, just keep saying game, it's fine. <laughs> the end of the uh, the, the game, uh, I was more impressed by the graphics more than anything else. It was just more of a... just like, I can't believe Source Engine looks that good. And, you know, it, it doesn't make sense because there's, no, in, you know, there's, there's no interactivity with the world at all, so they, they can polish it and, you know, you only see what they want you to see because you can't go running around the back of it and seeing where it's all clipping and looking nasty. But, um... Yeah, um, nah, it's, these things aren't for me. And while I, you know, I, you know, I supported it on day one because I wanted to just, you know, just see what it was, and I'm, I'm glad I did. But um, I don't think I'll be if if there's another thing game that comes out that sort of treads the same line as Dear Esther, I, I don't think I'll be checking it out. But maybe Journey if if it, well, if I ever get a PS3. But hmm, yeah, I, I don't really think this is for James? me. James. Okay. Um. <laughs> oh, that, that was a big set up. <laughs> yeah. The first thing I would say is the first thing that happened to me in this game kind of supports the notion that are we going to call it a game? Because I drowned. I walked off the side of the ramp into the water. Could You can't see where you're going when you're in the water, really. Um, and there's no jump. So I couldn't get back out of the water. I drowned. Reset. The fact that there is no jump mechanic in this game sort of makes you think, hang on a second, what actually is this? Is a game without mechanics really a game? However, I don't think what makes a game is actually all that tightly nailed down. You know, compared to films, books, we know what makes a film and a book, but a film can be a series of still images set to music. Just because there's not moving pictures, just because there's not story doesn't actually not make it a film. So to say it's not a game, well, it's using a video game engine. It doesn't play itself. If you don't move forward, you don't get any narrative whatsoever. It still looks pretty, but you don't get any of the jigsaw pieces. There's exploration to be done. There are uh, paths that you go down that are dead ends that fairly regularly, if not almost always, have... uh, clues as to what's going on um, in in the environment as you're moving through we all okay we might not have a firm grasp on what really the story is but we all have a notion of okay this is about someone having died um, there's a, 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 a car crash there's um, at one point you're taken out into the um, onto a motorway where there is a wrecked car and a sign um, there are hints at where you are and what it means to you and this Esther person. And you build your own narrative to a certain extent. Um, yeah, so it's after having drowned, I think that sort of clued me into the fact that this wasn't going to mechanically be what we might consider a game. Um, I made my way up the ramp and into that first building. 
I made a note to myself that the narrator was English. I thought that was interesting. It told me something about where I might be. Um, I made a note that the formula scrawled on the wall in that shack was ethanol. I recognised that straight away. Uh, C2H5OH. Um, knowing a bit about chemistry, having a chemical engineering degree, I spotted that and I started making sense of some of the the um, chemical formulas that are on the wall throughout this game and, and I knew recognised what they were for the most part and pieced that together. Um, I also noticed that the the books... You can't really read what's on them, but definitely the title to one of them that you see several times says A Hebridean History on the front. So that tells me where it is. Um, the branch paths interested me because at one point I thought I was going completely the wrong way and would I have a chance to go back and take the other path I'd seen. Um, I, I went down into a cave um, that had sitting sort of in, in the floor... Uh, folded clothes and a bowl full of what looked like bones on on the wall in that cave was again ethanol formula and something that either looked like it was a nerve cell diagram or uh, the chemical symbol for benzene which is a ring um, so that had me intrigued what did all that mean so know? so what you're saying is the game part to you is the interactive well it's not even inter but the <laughs> The nature of which the environment was giving you clues, that you made that into yeah. a game of your own head of it, who is this person, what does this environment mean to Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's working out what's going on. Um, and, and yes, it, you could have automatically walked through all that, but the fact that I was controlling where I went, that there did seem to be branching paths, but I decided which order I went down them in. Um, I could take my time. So if I wanted to stop and look around, I could do that. If this had been... Uh, a movie made using the source mod, which is possible. They could just have generated this gameplay and moved the camera but, through. But it. this is the thing, like, yeah, you know, there's me sitting here saying it's not a game. Yet I'm mm. not saying it's a movie. I think it's an yep. in interactive experience. But for me, game there has to be some sort of interaction. Now, of course, your interaction is well, the environment is telling me this stuff, yep. which I think is valid, and and you you can view it that way. But for me, it's like well, I I think I need a, some sort of mechanic. Like if I, mm. even if it was a case of maybe I could pick up that book and turn a page. Now I understand from you know what what Josh was saying, like that wasn't their intention. It's like strip everything out. But I think. A game needs to engage me, and mechanics aren't a bad thing. Mechanics are a good thing, mm. and just by having access to maybe um, that that wall painting in in the cave, maybe you could have taken a photo or something. It would have maybe broken the narrative and completely lost exactly you know, if you are this this spirit moving through through the world. But mm. I think why I'm airing on the on the fact that it doesn't feel like a game to me is more the fact that I think they didn't do a good enough job making me feel a part of that environment. As I said right at the start of this, if I felt like there was a reason for me to be in this place, then I probably would have explored a bit like you and taken context and subcontext of what this place was, why I was standing there. But because they, with the narrative, was just fairly kind of floating out there, maybe you could search for it, maybe it, maybe it was never meant to make sense. Yeah. I never felt like the interaction with the environment, which I've said on many occasions works well, like look at my you know, me talking about Limbo. Like, you know, I, I took a lot from different aspects, although they didn't tell me what that was. So I think it can be, but I think they do a poor job of presenting that to the mm -hmm. player. 
to say that interaction occurs or inside my head piecing this together or just from the notion of the fact that I'm using analog sticks to walk through this environment. Again, I, I played this with a, a pad plugged into the computer. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I get what you mean. The interaction has to be you affecting the world in some way. You can't just be moving through the environment. But the exploration is what I felt was my interaction. And, yeah, I guess from what Darren's saying, the fact that the the pieces of information he was being given, because you read out letters, but they're almost like mini poems, almost kind of, and, and the visual pieces of information around you, if that, you know, if that wasn't, interesting enough to you as, as it was to me it was a mystery to me to try and work out what mm -hmm. was going on if that wasn't grasping you then there really was no interaction here because the exploration was just as much as right which path am I going down here um, and almost just what's going to happen and in the end for you Darren it sounds like what happened was not that much where's uh, the end yeah <laughs> yeah until you get to the end and obviously I, th I think well I, I presume we all agree that something interesting happens at the end um when you act, when the, when it wrestles control from you, actually, by that point, you have no control over what's going on. <laughs> How ironic! And, and then something interesting happens. But <laughs> but for me, interesting stuff was happening all the time. You know, I walked out onto a beach, which was another dead end, and there was an E or a, what looked like an E, uh, lowercase E, drawn in the in the sand. Um, no idea what that means. Still have no idea. Uh, maybe E for ethanol. It may just be that it happened to look e for like, a, like yeah. an E for me or E for Esther. Um, there were standing stones so there are some buildings and some of them are, are ruins but there were a set of standing stones there which obviously has uh, or, or it gives a feeling of something spiritual going on on this island um, the letters that are being read out just sort of describe mistakes of the past um, an indication that perhaps the the writer the letters are being written to Esther um, hence the, the title of the game that the writer and Esther share some kind of history on this island uh, but it talks about having certainly the the ones I got talked about having crashed on this island before in mm. some way like they were about the wreck that you find um, and also they talk the ones I had talked a lot about the M5 and and yeah which is really weird as you know talking about because that's clearly not where this is set no and yet, talking about driving locations. up and down, yeah, talking about dri driving up and down the M5, looking for something but never finding it, which may or may not be the site of this crash that may or may not have happened. Mm -hmm. And the very fact that I keep saying may or may not there is interesting to me. The fact that we all have different interpretations of what happened is interesting that it can do that with no interaction. And at the end as well, the, the all the letters that are being read to you, or the poems, whatever they may be, but um, yeah. they they basically end up being little boats sitting on um, mm. sitting on the waterfront as you're walking up yeah. towards this uh, little flying boats, out. Yeah. yeah, folded boats. Um, and the fact that there are on this apparently abandoned island, there are all these candles burning. The first one I saw, I thought, hang on, yeah, who 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 put that there? <laughs> you know, so clearly there's something more than physical going on in this island it, it it doesn't seem to me like it can be a real place because it doesn't look like it's inhabited anymore um it and yet there are these candles burning and so my immediate reaction yeah, is but, well who's maintaining those one of the one of the things in me i was thinking maybe it's somebody's mind finally letting, letting go yeah. 
Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's. I mean, who knows? I mean, whether you believe in afterlife or not. But you know, if you actually view it as some sort of spiritual thing, that you know, the moment that this person dies, mm. um, you know, they have this thing where they're wandering through this island to their, their ultimate destiny. But yeah. it's it's hard because it's none of that's really explained. I mean, I, I kind of like games which are fairly open ended, and you know, the context is whatever you make of it. But um. And let's let's get our let's get our sum up sum up thoughts and see if we can kind of tackle our, our final feelings on this game. Um, let's go with Josh first. Um, so, dear Esther, I I think it's an interesting experiment, but I don't really enjoy what the game is trying to accomplish. I think the game looks beautiful, and it's, it was definitely worth picking up when it was on sale a few day a few weeks ago, just to look at it because it looks stunning. But in terms of the actual content and what it's trying to do, it wasn't that interesting for me. Okay. Uh, Darren? Yeah, I think what I said earlier pretty much was my summary. I I, I'm, I really appreciate that the, this kind of thing exists and the fact that they made their money back within a week, was it, or within day one? that They made their money back and I, I assume they're turning a profit now. Is It's really heartwarming that a, a, a group of brave people can do something so unique and put it on a platform, and you know, people like like, like myself, like people who, who don't really appreciate game stories for what they are. Like, I don't play a game for the story primarily. Like, it's always good to have the thread there, but the fact that they they can turn a profit now on a game that is just primarily, you know, a narrative. Well, a, a narrative. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's really impressive that the, that the gaming community uh, is is willing to um you know back something that. They weren't really sure. Obviously, the the mod that was out in 2008 could have provided them with some information on what was going on. But I think a lot of people bought it just because it. Um, but probably it's probably the Steam thing as well. You know, yeah. there's a new game on Steam, everyone buy it, and that's probably part of it as well. And I admit I was probably part of that zeitgeist movement. But um, yeah, uh, it's not for me. But that's not to say it's um it's a bad thing. It's just not in my palette, I'm afraid. It is one of those weird things when you talk about price. I mean, the game is essentially only two hours mm. long. It's what seven pounds, um, and you you know we we've had this conversation whether it's a game or an interactive experience of any kind. So ultimately, you, know, you have to make that judgment call. I think it probably just about mm. warrants the value because it's different um, enough. But I think like the recent Steam sale that saw it come down to three pounds was probably the the more kind of the right bracket. It yeah, should be. yeah, it's, it's good to um. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, you know, it's good to know that people will, like I say, take a chance on this thing. And it's a three quid, it's a, you know, you spend more than that on a sandwich. It's, it's mental, but people think the three quid's too much. Um, yeah, it's just got the best looking stalagmites in in gaming history. It's a, it's incredible. Like just look at walking into those caves. <laughs> I feel was uh, was worth it alone. And that might that might make me sound a bit like paper thin and like you know vain. PC gamer like graphics, rah, rah, but it, I can't believe it's running on source. It's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. <laughs> James, um, the very fact that I made more notes about this game, this two-hour best game uh, sort of experience, if we want to call it that, uh, than I made for <laughs> the entirety of Metal Gear Solid Two, tells me that there's something going on here that's interesting. Um, I mean, we can continue on and do another hour on this game if you wish. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it, it necessarily needs that because I think the fact that it's a two-hour game and the fact that it will be on sale on Steam again means that if it's available for £3, pick it up. There's biblical references towards the end about a journey to Damascus. 
Um, there are dopamine molecules and surgical equipment and circuit boards drawn. Uh, at one point next to the ship, I think I saw a skeleton drawn with a weight tied to its, its feet. Um, all these things had me trying to piece together a story that seems to revolve around a car crash and a sense of loss and this character moving through perhaps some kind of... Uh, I want to almost say a, a limbo where where the the pain and suffering that he has experienced is being sort of laid to rest. Um, there just seems to be so much, and it's open to interpretation about what it's really all about, but there's so much going on um, that then when you ascend to this... Uh, we should probably say there's a there's a uh, a mast that you are moving towards throughout the mm-hmm. game in a sort of twisting path. But again, very much like Journey that we said before, you, you get the sense that that's your destination, and you climb to the top of it and then jump off. And it to me it felt like that was a suicide. But then obviously when you get to the bottom and uh, it changes direction and you're flying over the the um, the island, I didn't want that section to stop. I wanted it to be you know. A complete flight over the island, so you could see everywhere you'd been before, um, and and really take in that whole area for what it was and what it meant for me in, in my case. Um, I also think it's interesting that at the very end, it um, it fades to black and never finishes. Yeah, it never finishes. You think no. almost that the game has crashed because it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't quit exactly back to desktop or anything. It, it just stays there's there. nothing going on. There's there, there's just the sound of the sea. The idea being that you have gone somewhere where, I guess, the sound of the sea is supposed... Well, it, it could mean lots of things, but in this case, I think it means sort of that... It's that eternity. It's that eternal sound. It's always there, ever-present. And even when the world that you've been in is gone, it would remain. You know, it's like the passing of time or something, I suppose. Um, I think there's so much there that I got out of this... Yes, it was only two hours long, but I went back into it to try and see if there were different paths to take, and I spotted that some of the voiceovers were different. Um, and there were just so many layers that it may not make sense, it may not be a coherent narrative, but the fact that I wrote so many notes trying to, to piece it together and was interested enough to do that, to try and work out what the... Um, what the analogy was or, or what the real story was, what had happened, who this person was. At one point, I wondered if the person that you were essentially being in this game was, in fact, Esther, or whether it was her husband. Um, there's mentions of names, but until the end, you can't really piece together who's who, who might be responsible for the the crash and what the result of that was. Um yeah, I just thought there was there was a lot in this. You know, the fact that I had to just double check that the molecule I saw on the wall was dopamine, and that therefore made sense with the the fact that it was a a, a neuro cell um, that was drawn on the walls. And sure enough, you know, dopamine controls neuroreceptors in your brain. So there's clearly something to do with uh, it. Might be a coma, or it may be the effect of alcohol in the brain, that sort of thing. Um, I can't ignore the way I felt playing this game and, and the sense of discovery that just walking around this environment had on me. Um, so yeah, if, if you've got two hours to spare and this maybe drops in price because I think that's a sense of frustration for some people is that having paid £8 or 
I guess it's sort of twelve, thirteen dollars in America. Um, having paid that much to then have a two-hour experience that may well be quite confused and not mean much to you could be frustrating. But <clears throat> if it's a bit cheaper and it sound what we've talked about sounds <laughs> interesting, um, then absolutely uh, give it a shot. I think it's interesting, and the fact that we're discussing whether or not it's a game. I don't think, as a medium, what a game is has been nailed down all that much. You, it's it's kind of one of those you know it when you see it type things. Um, some people ask whether uh, a QTE really makes it a game, or is well, it just you pressing Raff. a button yeah. to yeah? Is it just pressing a button to continue the cutscene? Um, so we're we're it's not a, a well established enough medium to know exactly what a game can be. But the fact that this could be a game. And we're having this discussion, I think, makes it interesting enough to warrant experiencing it and, and seeing if it does anything for you. Because it's, it's interesting, if damn, nothing else. Damn you, James, for making me feel <laughs> like I've missed half the blinking purpose of this project. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, my, my wrap-up would be... I, I mean, listening to you to, to talk it in that aspect, I feel like, in some respects, we've probably shortchanged this... Um, like we we probably could have done a full show on this and, and really studied every aspect of you know what area each area meant and and the little trinkets in those areas and and kind of deconstructed every idea that we had for each thing. I mean, we did the similar kind of thing for Journey, and I think it, it, in some respect it po- it possibly could work here. Mm. But I I think the fact that both Darren and Josh and myself struggled uh, to look beyond kind of just pressing forward and moving through the environment and letting the story play over us um, says that in my, in my feeling anyway that they could have done so much more I think one of the reasons why I'm a, maybe angry with myself or maybe angry with this game I, I think it becomes so close to touching on like a bigger conversation about what a game is mm-hmm. if it just concentrated or, or streamlined the storyline a little bit if it made it slightly less abstract and just gave it the slightest of context of what this island has to do with Esther herself, then I think I would probably been falling all over this 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 art mm. project and um, been a bit a lot more kind of receptive to some of the, the things that you're talking about rather than just yeah. pushing forward. Um, but as it was, I, it it just didn't interest me enough with the narrative that it was telling. And ultimately, once the narrative had, had fallen to the wayside um, because it, it I mean clearly the developers wanted it wanted it to be abstract it lost me as a player as well um, and I didn't want to then go off searching for hidden clues and side caves I was kind of wanting to, to push towards the end um, and I felt like you know if, if there was the slightest of context between the island Esther and, and whoever you were playing mm. and that I would have really really been um, involved in this because I think it's a neat idea I, I'm not one to say okay it's not a game and that's it I think you know the game can be whatever you want it to be but I certainly believe that interactive storytelling in the way that this almost achieves where you're just you know maybe Asura's Wrath will be one that we'll cover in the show in the near future where mm-hmm. that has more of a kind of game element in it but ultimately you're not you're not doing combat you're doing more button presses but it's maybe a slightly more context of what's going on on the screen maybe the key but that's so batshit crazy who knows so I think they come close I, I think it's worth the money um, just because it, it's something different and it's it's one of those things that you're only going to kind of find as this little indie project off the side on Steam or you know or freeware or, or whatever yeah. 
but the fact you have to pay for it maybe it, it brings a little bit more context of what exactly you need yeah. from this experience it, it reminds me a bit of the I guess it's technically just called the demo scene um, mm-hmm. oh, I can't remember the name of it there's a there's a quote unquote game on PS3 that I played that um, detuned no, no, but there are a few on PS3, I think, actually, on PSN, um, that are what they call the demo scene, which is just about pushing graphics at the expense of mechanics. For And that sounds really harsh, but it's more about what you can do with the technology and the hardware that you have at your disposal. Um, and in in that case as well, it's more just about moving through the environment. And there are win and loss states, and there's things to unlock and that sort of thing. Um, but it's more just about experiencing what can be done with music and visuals that we wouldn't normally consider a game um and yeah it it's it's different from what we're used to and uh it if all your if all this game um sort of gives to you is visuals and and just sort of push forward to continue then yeah it's, it's really not going to do anything but um if you but, yeah, break that and just, look deeper maybe there is a, a yeah, lot there to be found mm. possibly but i i think the thing that that i come back to in terms of not spending a whole show talking about this is it takes an hour and a half seriously an hour and a half to get through it depending <laughs> upon how long you do a, a live feed of us playing it yeah so best thing to do is go and, and that's kind of one of the beautiful things about about doing Kane and Rins this way is it it almost doesn't matter about spoilers in this case because we all had all four of us had such different experiences with this and the experience anyone listening would have is slightly different well and and I think like you've you've maybe put a bit of context in that environment that mm. you know if I was playing playing it knowing some of those aspects that you've talked about I may have you know got a little bit from it but that's not the yeah. game telling me that was been somebody on Kane and Rince telling me about these little things and I went up and swore and went oh that's what that means it's the the symbol for yeah so yeah we, we could we could break this down to its minutiae but ultimately what Josh said ends up ringing true the idea was not to give a coherent narrative the idea was to give the the skeleton frame of a coherent narrative uh, and allow the one experiencing it to to add the flesh themselves. Um, so the best thing for people that are listening to do is not worry about the fact that we've maybe uh, missed out on some of... Not missed out, but we've, we've not gone into real depth on some of the aspects of this game because some people won't find depth there and that's not a criticism of of the person playing it it's just that's the way it is you know they've given you a skeleton and and not necessarily helped you add the flesh it's all it's up to you to do that Mm, good way to put it um so best thing for people to do is if if what we've talked about sounds interesting go and experience it yourself another Um, another game a great soundtrack as well which uh, yeah we'll play you out the end of the show yeah and it it does look incredible. That's the thing. You, you sent us a, a 2008 versus 2012 comparison video, and just seeing <laughs> what it starts. I mean, technology it, in four years. Yeah, eh? <laughs> the, the textures they've added. I mean, the geometry is the same largely. The textures they've added and the water in this game just looks incredible. It really does. It looks fantastic. And it, I, and I understand that it's a bit of a frustration that there's no interaction with those textures in that environment, but. It is still, I think, quite a, quite astounding. 
If you'd like to play along with future Cane and Rinses, uh, the featured games, we've just, Liam, me and Leon um, have done up a new list, so there's a whole bunch of new games. You can actually find this information on the website if you want to follow over there, um, but I'll, I'll give you the names now. Um, so we're doing Fallout 3, Battlefield Multiplayer Revisited, I think Leon and Jay makes a, a, a splendid return and talk about how Battlefield 3's multiplayer has evolved over the period of time since its original release last year. Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, Ratchet and Clank, A Crack in Time, Metal Gear Solid 3, by the current time that's probably going to be a 4 hour show, and then the Metal Gear Solid 4 will be a 5 hour show. Um, Lost Winds and Lost Winds 2, No More Heroes, Ghost Trick, Kirby's Epic Yarn, Metal Gear Solid 4, Rhythm Heaven, is it Tengoku, Darren? Yeah, in Japan it's Tengoku. Tengotu series and Max Payne 1 and Max Payne 2 for all those people who have been playing Max Payne uh, in preparation but you have to wait all the way until the 16th of around the 16th of August for us to record that one so a little bit of time to catch up your support for the show via iTunes subscriptions ratings and reviews are always greatly appreciated and we do actually read all of them and, and enjoy those our blog can be found at canandrince.com that there you can direct you to find all the stuff such as quick rinses which is from Josh and Darren and and Darren Josh and Darren yes that is right I can know I was thinking Darren Foreman he hasn't quite he's meant to be doing some videos but he hasn't uh, quite yet uh, they'll be going up on the site soon and also you can find that aforementioned list so you can play along with the game with us on Cane and Rinse Cane and Rinse is part of the Character Select Network come and join the discussion on the forum which can be found at caratselect.net forward slash forum you can follow us at Kane and Rinse, like us on Facebook, and of course, if you have any comments about this show or any forthcoming shows, you can email us at caneandrinse at gmail.com. So that just leaves me to say thank you very much to James Carter, Joshua Garrity, Darren Gargett. This has been Kane and Rinse. See you next week. <laughs>